up to the Northern Hemisphere we go now, people. And we're talking to James Burridge. Um, we're not talking FIFA World Cup. We're still talking rugby because some really good games in the weekend, I thought. Uh, but before we do that, James, um, I just wanted to pay respect to Dottie Weir, the passing of a great man for a British and Irish Lions and a, and a truly well-loved man. It's a sad day for world rugby, really. It's crushing, isn't it? It's really crushing. Um he has been immense in all the work he has done for MND. To die at 52, I mean, six years after he was diagnosed with, with motor neuron disease, um, the work he has done, the campaign he has led, the, pre, the, the investment he has generated, and the attention he has brought to a horrendous disease, and just the stoicism um, that he brought with it. You know, not forgetting, this guy was one hell of a rugby player. <laughs> he was just such an incredible, athletic, dynamic uh, rugby player. And but you know the work he did for for everyone associated with MND was truly incredible. Yes, it was, and it's uh, as I say, it's a sad day felt around the world. And and the the fact that he was such a, a remarkable rugby player, and then just gave back upon his diagnosis, he fought to the bitter end. And uh, even in his passing, he's an incredible inspiration. So we do pass on our sympathies. Um, some two interesting games over the weekend, James. Uh, gosh, I want to start with Wales. Uh, they let one get away, much like New Zealand did last week against England. 21 down, 20 minutes to go. Australia found a way to win. Well, in the last few hours, both the Welsh Rugby Union and, and the English RF Union are, are kind of launching reviews and said, frankly, what the hell happened this autumn? Uh, I, I can't quite believe Wales blew that. Um, 21 points lead with you know 10, 15 minutes left to lose it, and the way they lost that match was just horrible. Um, and it's it's crushing for the just for the mental impact. I, I think the problem was the Georgia game was still leaving it. You know, it's just it's not just been Georgia this year; it's been Italy as well. But the Georgia defeat left an imprint on that Welsh team, and. I've never. I don't see many international teams blow it like Wales did in that last fifteen minutes. It was truly extraordinary to behold. But they just, considering there was a lot of experience mm. in that Welsh team, um, and yet they weren't able to stop the rot. And it's you know, momentum swings in sport are just devastating, aren't they? There's nothing you can do sometimes to stop it. And we as kind of Amateurs look at the professional side of sport and we see it unravel in such dramatic, loose way. It just goes to show, you know, they're only human, they're giving their best, and yet there was nothing they could do to stop it. But I just think that Georgia defeat had made such a mark on Wales. Uh, mentally, it, it, it was just a huge, it was too big a blow to get over. Uh, I well, I know there was immense pressure on Wayne Pivak after the Georgia game. It must be immeasurable now what's on him now. Yeah, and there's talk, isn't there? I mean, there's talk in the press over here this morning that they're going to bring Warren Gatlin back with Steve Tandy. Um, and actually, Gats was there on the touchline. I mean, that was hugely ironic. He was doing TV on the touchline. <laughs> um, and you just think, my God, I mean, how weird is that? Um but the bigger problems in Welsh rugby are not just the team. And, and, and because of the whole structure of Welsh rugby in terms of the provincial size of the game, the fact that they still don't have budgets, the provincial teams don't have budgets for next year, 
And Welsh rugby, you have to remember, everything comes from the top in terms of that national team. If the national team is performing well, like it did under Gatland, it kind of papered over the cracks of the problems in the provincial game, the fact that there's not a huge amount of money there. But equally, in Wales right now, you're seeing a situation where football is really taking off. You know, Wales in the, in the World Cup, right? It hasn't been, hasn't, that hasn't happened for decades. And the Welsh national rugby side is really beginning to lose. And if the WRU don't sell out Cardiff, uh, Cardiff the Millennium, then or the Principality, as it's now called, if they don't sell that out, that has huge financial knock-on consequences for the, for the provincial game, the whole structure of rugby in Wales. So it's absolutely critical that the WYU get a grip of this mm-hmm. for the whole structure of rugby in Wales, not just the elite end, but the whole way down the chain. It sounds very similar to what we're facing here, actually, because I, I think Wales and New Zealand are the only two... Um, tier one nations that it's the number one sport is rugby of course in, in your homeland in England it's obviously uh, football but um, the other game England uh, 13 South Africa 27 I find I was I was 20 years a rugby bookmaker James and South Africa were always the ones that I found the hardest to price because they can play brilliant and then they, then they can play crap um, they were pretty good but I just felt like I don't know what went wrong with England. What 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 did your magnifying glass unearth about the England performance? Where do you want to start? How long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the RFU, frankly, have to take a long, hard look at themselves, and they've got to look at the Eddie Jones situation. And I just felt, you know, England have won five tests out of twelve, mm. and the big the big conundrum really for English rugby right now is it's with Eddie Jones. It is always jam tomorrow. It is always judge me on the World Cup. I've got a plan for the World Cup. I don't have enough time with these players. I can't work miracles now. But judge me on the World Cup. That's when I'll deliver the deliver the goods. And that really sticks in the claw of a lot of people, a lot of rugby punters who spend a lot of money going to Twickenham and want to see an England team performing, an England team winning. An England team showing potential, showing promise, showing a sense of a kind of sense of momentum again, and and being able to play for eighty minutes, showing an identity, showing the British sorry sorry the English public sorry what they are about, what you know what is their raison d'etre, and you cannot say that about England right now. You know, I always remember Clive Woodward in nineteen ninety nine uh, crashed out. England crashed out of the World Cup in the quarterfinals, and he said. Judge me on the next World Cup. Give me the next few years and judge me on the next World Cup. But in fairness to Woodward, they started winning quite soon after that. They started winning Grand Slams. They started winning big matches. They went on an unbeaten run. They became number one in the world before that 03 World Cup. England aren't anywhere close to that. Not any, not anywhere close. They've got players of huge potential, but they haven't got any sense of identity at all. Um, and, you know, it's crushing. It's, it's really, really difficult to, to, to watch because England are one of the biggest funded teams in world rugby. And yet, for whatever reason, time after time, it doesn't work on the pitch. And in, I think the biggest indictment is that the English watching rugby public are just a bit apathetic about it. Mm. They're kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying, I'm just a bit fed up with this now. But And they, show, they, they have no connection to that England team. Twickenham's been quiet. Mm. So you've been watching the test matches. Yeah, yeah. It's been really quiet. 
and, and that that just sums it up. I could send you some audio cuts before the last, uh, sort of the year before the last World Cup, and Steve Hansen was saying, judge me on the World Cup, judge, we're, we're keeping stuff back, don't worry, we've got this under control, it didn't happen, and just what you were saying about Eddie Jones, I was thinking, I've heard this four years ago, but from Steve Hansen, the All Black coach, and of course England bundled us out, you, you, you touched on um, finances and how strong England is, but what's the, just to tear down, the state of the premiership, we've seen a couple of clubs in trouble, Um what what is the state of the premiership? Because, like Wales, uh, that's the feeder into the top team. Yeah, the English Premiership has had a really depressing couple of months in seeing Wasps. You know, Wasps, one of the biggest clubs in the history of the English Premiership, huge success in Europe. You know, Premiership titles galore, and Worcester as well. And 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 both of those clubs to go bust. It's been a horrendous a horrendous time for English club rugby. The product on the pitch is brilliant to watch. Mm. Um, it's, 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 you know, it is end to end. It's the you know, high scoring games of rugby. Um, you get the, the, you know, the shackles have kind of been released, but in terms of the actual management and operation of running a, an English elite premiership rugby club right now, it's brutal. They were given, they were always making losses before the pandemic. Yes, they then came along and CBC, who invested into the English Premiership like they did into the Six Nations, invested a lot of money. Now, not all of those clubs invested it probably as wisely as they should have done. Some used it to pay off debt. Some used it to invest in the infrastructure that they've got. Um, but then the pandemic came along and hit them for six. Now, a lot of these clubs have taken loans from the British government to kind of keep themselves ticking, keep themselves going. But the honest truth is that, you know, professional rugby in England does not make a profit and it's been relying too often on one-off sugar daddies hmm. to keep them afloat. You know, Bristol, it, it sells out its ground pretty often, you know, between fifteen to 25,000 seats and that you would think that's healthy. And yet they're making a lot, they're making a loss of about, I think they made a loss of 30 million last year. They've just pronounced their results. Jeez. And, that just goes to show the, the massive problem. If one of your biggest clubs is hemorrhaging debt, then you've either got to cut the play- salaries of the players, um, and that's just going to intensify the problems of the players thinking, hang on a second, we're the guys producing the goods here, and yet we're the ones who are losing money. Or you've got to reduce the prices of your tickets, or you know, it, it, it's not profitable. There's no money there, and the television deal, as good as it is, isn't generating enough money for the club. Staggering, staggering. Um, talking to James Burris from the BBC in the UK. Finally, James, uh, without the emotion of being a New Zealander, what has you made of the All Blacks this year and Coach Ian Foster? Uh, I think, how, well, how can I say this about the All Blacks? What do I think about the All Blacks? I think you're in a much better position than England are from an Englishman looking at this. I would far rather be in... Ian Foster's camp than Eddie Jones's. I don't think his job's under threat for a start. I think having Joe Schmidt in there has definitely helped. Um, I think the forwards, the New Zealand forwards, look a lot tougher and a lot more threatening than they did a year ago. Um, I think you just want consistency, don't you, I think? And, and, and from an English perspective, looking at England, I can't see any consistency in approach, tactics or selection. And I think once that beds down with the All Blacks, that swagger returns. You, you, they were winning. The, the difference about New Zealand is you were winning and you have won and you've been on a roll. And even though you didn't play particularly well against Scotland, you still came through. Um, 
you'll be scratching your heads about that England performance, frankly, but then you could almost put that down to a one-off because that doesn't happen that often. Um, but if I was in a New Zealand fan watching the way they play, um, certainly the back three and the back row, I just think you've got so many options. And, but I think the biggest is, has, has been made in that coaching corner. I think Foster, I, for me, I think Foster is, he's always possibly needed another couple of heads alongside him. Um, and I think that your coaching setup has been rejuvenated by it. And that should be seen as a positive. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's sort of lauding James Ryan. You, you mentioned the the forwards have toughened up in the last year. I'm uh, oh, sorry, Jason Ryan. Has... Ryan Ryan's definitely been a massive addition, hasn't he? Yeah. he? Whatever whatever he's brought to the game, he's definitely toughened up your pack um, and using them all the way they have. The lineouts a lot stronger. Uh, you know, and all the things which New Zealand have done brilliantly down the ages off front football can only be done if you have a nasty pack. Mm. What, what's, what's your hope for the future of rugby? Like yeah, New Zealand's got a lot of ageing players that this World Cup will see the end, either retirements or you know a couple of years superannuation clubs and that sort of thing. We're going to get cleaned out. Um, and there's a few older players in some of the other teams. Are you still optimistic about the game of rugby globally? God, what a question. <laughs> what a question. Um, if you look at it on face value right now, there are probably four really good teams in New Zealand and France, South Africa, um, and Ireland. which is the other Ireland. one? Ireland, Ireland, of course. Yeah, yeah Ireland. Those, those four teams are the best in world rugby right now. Beneath that, I think any of the rest can beat each other on any day. But I do think the playing field's a lot more level than it was four years ago, mm. uh, and even eight years ago. Um, I think it's fantastic the likes of you know, Portugal, who come along and beat the United States yes. and get themselves into the tournament is great. I, th- I think what Georgia are doing is fantastic. And they have been repeatedly knocking on the door uh, for a long time now. But, you know, the chances of them getting into the Six Nations are pretty much non-existent. And in fairness to it- Italy, you know, they've, they've had two scouts themselves this year. They've had Wales and they've had the Wallabies. So Italy have demonstrated that they are beginning to bring uh, a different flavour into, into international rugby now. They're not always, they can't always be seen as the whipping boys. I think what rugby desperately needs is it, it needs to be able to spread. It needs to be able to regenerate and attract new audiences around the world. Um, but I also think one of the biggest, if you speak to anyone about rugby who doesn't follow rugby, one of the biggest things they talk to you about is concussion. Mm. And they talk to you about player welfare. And you only have to watch the test matches that we watch now. And you just see how brutal this game is. And I think that is the biggest problem. That there are two huge problems in rugby right now. One is one is player welfare, and one is financial viability. And I, and I think for world rugby and for all the unions to try and sort those out is is a really really tough assessment. Yeah, two of the hardest ones really. It's not rules. It's not player numbers. Well, it could be player numbers with this concussion deal. Hey, James, could talk to you all day. I really appreciate you uh, chatting to us at the late hour over there in the UK. I, I wish you well. And um, we can have a rest from rugby for a little while and embroil ourselves in the FIFA World Cup, eh? 